When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. Now, coming up on the programme this morning, John Paul's taking your calls, by the way, 1850-333-103. You can text her WhatsApp 0862-103-103. And having spoken about what great weather it is, it's lovely to see people out in the garden and the smell of fresh cut grass and lots of people sort of taking the opportunity to get out and sort the garden out after the wintertime. If you've got a question, it's Wednesday. So it means Peter Dowdle will join us later on on the programme answering all of your gardening questions. Get your questions in, please, and we'll put them to Peter a little bit later on. We're also going to get reaction from a local politician to Sinead, the mother who joined joined us yesterday. And she was outlining a story of what had happened to her 20-year-old son. Himself and his friend were coming home in Ballincollig. They were actually close to the family home when they got set upon by a group of what Sinead's son said were teenagers. Teenagers that Sinead believed were from the area. Local teenagers hanging out, nothing better to do. Decided to pick on Sinead's son and his friend. They're musicians and they wear their hair long and she reckoned that was the start of them being picked on and jeered at. But it went from just kind of name calling and stupid banter into a full on assault in that Sinead's son has a lot of bruising and was beaten up with something that we think may have been a a hurley. But I think what was most upsetting from the whole story was the fact that they went to Angarda Siakona and they were assuming that the Gardaí would be able to do something for them. But the Gardaí basically told Sinead and her family that there's two Gardaí to patrol a big enough area of Balancholic and there simply isn't enough of them. And actually, the member from Garda Siakona suggested to Sinead that he gets onto local TDs, to your local TD in the area to highlight the fact that there is a lack of Garda visibility and a lack of Garda on the beat 
in the area. So we have a local politician joining us who claims he has been bringing it up. He's not just bringing it up now because of what happened to Sinead's son. But you know what really surprised me as well yesterday after Sinead spoke, I couldn't get over the number of texts and WhatsApps and phone calls that we received in from people saying that isn't just a melancholic issue. And other people were talking about groups of young people hanging out together. And I know, you know, young people, that's what young people do. Others will say, isn't it a rite of passage when you're a teenager? You meet up with all of your friends and you hang out and there's not many places for them to go. But the problem seems to be that when you get this group of young people together and unruly behaviour starts and they are becoming very intimidating and there's antisocial behaviour. I mean, that's very different than a group. I've nothing, I've seen nothing wrong with a group of teenagers all hanging out together and going for a walk in the park or being downtown uh, together. But it's when their behaviour starts to intimidate and frighten other people and then they take it to another level and the next level being real antisocial behaviour, beating up someone. You know, that's not young people hanging out together. That's just unruly behaviour that a lot of people said yesterday needs to be nipped in the bud. I mean, what kind of a future are these young people going to have if they think that it's okay to get away with beating up two young men who are absolutely doing nothing except walking home? So we'll speak about that on the programme today. Also, uh, we're going to be raising the question, should Transport Infrastructure Ireland consider a different route for the Cork-Limerick motorway? We spoke about the Cork-Limerick motorway last week when again people were aghast to hear that the design plans for the new motorway it are going to cost 15 million euro. And I remember when I first saw this, I kind of said, that can't be right. There, there are full design plans done for the motorway. But of course, back in 2007, they were shelved, downturn in the economy, don't have the money to build the motorway. So the plans that were in place, along with full planning permission, may I say, were put somewhere on a shelf. I would have thought to gather dust until this day came when it was time that we have the money in the coffers and we're ready to build, which it seems they are now. Uh, and we're told, no, we're back to square one. We're going to start all over again. I mean, it just doesn't make any sense, particularly when they're planning on following the very same route. So if that's the case, if they're going to spend that kind of money looking at the route again, designing the route again, should consideration be given for a completely different route? Now, I'm talking completely out of the area. Instead of Cork to Limerick, you would run the motorway from Care to Limerick. So people from Cork City would head to the motorway to Care and then they would branch off. There would be another motorway from Care. Instead of going on to Dublin, they would go on to uh, Limerick instead. Now, I straight away can see alarm bells ringing for people who live in Mallow, people who live in Butterfield, people who live in Charleville, who are living in towns that are absolutely gridlocked. They need the motorway or they need bypasses in order for their towns to progress and for it not to be like a car park is how you'll often hear all of those three towns uh, described. But anyway, we're going to look at this other group and their proposal and what they think can be done. There's a cost saving to the exchequer to to route the motorway to go from Care to Limerick instead of Cork to Limerick. It would save the exchequer 
you know, so therefore, is that worth a consideration? Now, could this Saturday be one of the last times we put the clock forward? It looks like it could be because the European Parliament overwhelmingly approved a measure to abolish the twice yearly clock change. We do it in spring and we do it in autumn. And the EU Parliament uh, approved the measure right across the block. Now, the vote isn't final. I've already heard people saying, oh, is this the last time we're going to put the clocks forward on Saturday? No, it's not. But what's happened now is this forms the basis of the next step, which is introduce uh, legislation on the on the issue. Each member state are going to have to decide whether they want to stay on summertime or on, on standard time. So it's, it goes back now to, in our case, it comes back here to uh, Ireland the proposed change now it looks like it will be 2021 so we'll be talking about it again this time next year but it looks like the following year then uh, we will do it for the last time if the UK passes the Brexit divorce deal it will have to adhere to the rules until the end of the transition period so that's at least transition period is at least two years however then once the transition period is over and the United Kingdom is officially out of the European Union they are then obviously free to decide on their own as to what they want to, want to do. And they have previously indicated that they want to stick with the current system. So that would mean that we would have the potential for two time zones on the island of Ireland. And what kind of problems does that bring up? We'll be discussing that and more. Your thoughts and comments are welcomed on the clock changing. Because uh, I have to say... Traditionally, when we've discussed this in the past, and we have been discussing this for quite a few years, the majority of people are in favour of scrapping daylight saving hours. Everybody says this time of the year, people are okay about it because we're going to get the extra hour in the evening. And this time next week, we're going to, well, you're exhausted in the morning once you get out of the bed. But we'll have everybody saying, oh, isn't it just terrific to have the lovely bright evenings? But then go forward to October when the dark evenings come in. Everybody moans about it and everybody, other than you get the extra hour in bed, which you have benefit for, you feel the benefit for about a week and then that's quickly gone. But then people bemoan the fact that it's the, that there are dark evenings. So generally speaking, we get people very much in favour of scrapping it. Leave it on summertime and that is uh, it. But there are also, particularly as it's come closer to the EU making this decision to abolish the twice yearly clock change, people now who are in favour of it and have seen nothing wrong with the clocks going forward in spring and back in the winter months. There's more voices coming out. Certainly on this programme we're hearing from more people. So anyway your thoughts welcomed uh, on it. We're going to speak with Paul Edahan who is part of the Frank and Walters wonderful, wonderful band because they are headlining a concert in aid of Chase. Chase are the group in East Cork who are as we speak fighting in the High Court against the planning permission that was granted for the incinerator at Ring of Skiddy. Linda Fitzpatrick from Chase will update us on what's happening. They were their High Court case started last week. I don't know where we're at with that so we'll find out about that and find out more about this concert and also why Paul Lenahan feels so strongly and is very much a supporter of Chase and is very much against the uh, incinerator. And in a couple of minutes we're going to speak with our senior news reporter uh, Fiona Corcoran about 
two very sad cases the baby and the mother dying at CUMH and then yesterday the news that a 17 year old has been arrested for the hit and run of that little toddler that little almost three year old boy who as we speak is in the children's hospital in Dublin so that and more your thoughts welcomed throughout the morning as you've been hearing on our news bulletins this morning the baby found underneath its mother who died at CUMH has lost his battle for life the little newborn baby died Shortly after seven o'clock yesterday evening, Fiona Corkham, our senior news reporter, uh, joins me. Uh, good morning to you, Fiona. Good morning, Patricia. This is such a sad case. Just yes. take us back. Remind us what happened or what we believed happened on Monday at the maternity hospital. Um, yeah, Patricia, the doctors um, or staff at CUMH were doing their rounds and they went into the room where this lady was staying and uh, they found her dying, she was unresponsive, she was lying on the floor and um, the baby was partially underneath her on the floor and they did desperately try to resuscitate her at the time but unfortunately she couldn't be revived and um, they have spent the last two days since Sunday morning trying to save the little baby but unfortunately he passed away yesterday just before 7 o'clock he's only 4 days old now um, and a post-mortem examination was carried out on the woman who's been named locally as Margaret Downey a 36 year old from, who was originally from Kilmallock in County Limerick um, and the post-mortem examination has been carried out and a file will be sent to the coroner, the Cork City coroner, for an inquest at a later date. And CUMH are carrying out a full investigation. Now, the South-Southwest Hospital Group did issue a statement this morning to the media and confirmed that, that both deaths had taken place at the hospital and that a full, examine, a full investigation is currently underway. Um, and they also expressed their deepest sympathies with this woman's family. Now, we understand as well that she was two other ch- she had two other children, which kind of, I suppose, makes it even sadder. Sure, is your smoke alarm going off? No, it's just the Cork City Council truck. Sorry. Oh, sorry. Um, <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, it's, um, you know, it, it, it was just so tragic the way this all happened. And I suppose part of the investigation is what actually did happen. And what we understand at the minute is that staff did check on her um, a short time beforehand, possibly up to an hour beforehand, and she didn't show any signs of being unwell or being sick or didn't have any complications or any complaints. So I suppose one theory... And she was, sorry, she was in a room on her own, so there wasn't, it wasn't that she was in a room that one of the other mothers could have alerted staff. No, she was, yeah. that's it, yeah, she was in a single room. So, um, you know, when she did uh, have this incident, there was nobody around her to alert any of the staff. And one of the theories is that she may have... Um, become unwell. Now she was understood as well that she was breastfeeding at the time and that she may have become unwell and was leaning over to try and raise the alarm when she fell out of the bed. Another possibility is that she was, you know, going to the toilet, trying to get up to go to the toilet or to get something or another possibility is that she may have suffered a seizure and, and fell out of the bed. So all of these um, theories are being examined by professionals now at CUMH and it's just such a tragedy Patricia I mean we were just talking there I was just talking to JP before I came on air and we were just saying you know like the joy that you have when you have a baby like that and you know she was probably preparing to come home and 
other kids would have been waiting at home for her to come yeah, home. Yeah, I was, I was, you know, I was <sighs> thinking when when I heard last night that the little baby had passed away, I was thinking mm-hmm. because the baby was born on Sunday and you could imagine with the other two little ones, Mammy going off to the hospital to yeah. bring the baby home, Daddy coming home on Sunday night to say little brother, um, Mammy yeah. was going to be home in a day or two and to go from that level of excitement mm. to this, to this I mean, devastation. You know, and for the for the when I heard yesterday that the mother had passed away, I just was so upset because it was just so shocking. But then to hear that the baby as well, it's just it doesn't even bear thinking about. It. I don't think anyone could really get their head around that. It's just it's just so so sad. I and imagine for so the staff people, at the staff at the hospital must be yeah, totally devastated. I imagine. I mean, like you know, CUMH has a has a really good record. It's one of the top maternity hospitals in the country and you know you don't often hear of a tragedy like this happening so they must all be so saddened and so shocked over the last few days as what has happened you know and um, and uh, the, the lady Margaret Downey was from Kilmallock in County Limerick so obviously there's a community there that's grieving we understand that she was living in North Cork so there's another community there and that she was working in Novartis so obviously all of her work colleagues are going to be deeply upset and, and grieving today at what's happened as well. So shocking. It's just a oh, shocking. And there will yeah. be, as you say, an inquest when, at a later yeah, stage. At a later yeah, stage. Okay. Well, deepest, deepest sympathy. Deepest, deepest sympathy with all of um, uh, the family there. May she rest in peace and uh, the little baby. It's uh, shocking. And then the other story I know you've been uh, covering was the young, the little lad, again, parents' worst Mm. nightmare, playing football. The ball goes out and he runs out Mm. to get the football. Hit and and run. Yeah, and that happens on Monday at four o'clock in uh, an estate called Castle Meadows, which is just off the hard road here in Cork City. And um, it was just before four o'clock and he ran out on the road and he was hit by a car and the car took off and stopped at the scene. Now, uh, Gardaí issued an appeal and um, a car believed to have been involved in, in that hit and run had been found a short time later in nearby Ballinior. Now, yesterday they confirmed that they had arrested a 17-year-old and he was taken for questioning to the Brightwell Garda station. Uh, in the early hours of this morning, he was released without charge, but a file is being prepared and that will be sent to the Director of Public Prosecution. And Gardaí, in a statement last night, said that they understand that other people were in the car at the time, that it wasn't just um, the driver. And they're, they've made a direct appeal for those people to come forward as well. Um, and they've also appealed for anyone who witnessed the incident or who may have witnessed any erratic driving in the area in the lead up to this or afterwards. And they made a particular appeal to anyone who may have dash cams in their car and he would have been in the Castle Meadows Sea Hard Road area between half three and half four on Monday afternoon to contact them because they might have some very relevant information that could help with the Garda investigation. Do we know um, how yes. the little boy is doing? Yeah, I got an update this morning to say that he he was he was brought um, by ambulance to Cork University Hospital after the crash and he was transferred then to Temple Street Children's Hospital in Dublin and he remains in an induced coma there this morning and his uh, parents are by his bedside obviously um, since this has happened and his father Paul Higgins posted a message on Facebook yesterday and he said that um, you know that they have a long road ahead of them but they expect 
make a full recovery, that his injuries thankfully are not life-threatening. But, you know, he has suffered a lot of broken bones and fractured a collarbone, so it's going to take some time for this little boy to Poor little to thing. Recover. Poor know, little thing. So, so, so tragic again. But thankfully, he seems to be... Um, Know, it's, it's not life-threatening and hopefully he'll make full speedy recovery and be back to himself yeah uh, before long yeah, and he's young long. enough that hopefully he'll have no memory of it that's right uh, yeah, okay yeah. alright Fiona we leave it there thank you for that thank and uh, thanks uh, for joining us that is Fiona Corcoran our senior news reporter and when I heard that a, a 17 year old uh, boy had been uh, taken into uh, custody it, it straight away I started thinking is this a, a learner driver is this you know we're constantly we've done a lot of interviews about learner drivers having to have a fully qualified driver with them at all times and it would be one of the things that you would be saying to a learner driver if you're in any kind of a built up area and a housing estate and on a fine summer's day you always have to be mindful of a ball and if a ball comes out of a gate you can be guaranteed there'll be a little boy or girl running after that ball and you've got to be so so uh, careful so we wish the very best of luck to that little boy Zach by the way is his name Zach Higgins and to all of the Higgins family and we wish young Zach a speedy recovery and on the mum and baby who died at Cork University Maternity Hospital Mary says hi Patricia just to say my thoughts and prayers are with the family of that young mother and her newborn son who passed away so tragically it is so so sad may they rest in peace that's uh, from Mary what's happening Record today on C103 call Patricia with your comment 1850-333-103 we're going to be talking about daylight saving hours in the next hour on the programme with the EU making this uh, decision overwhelmingly approving a measure to abolish the twice yearly clock change uh, Donny says they tried this about 50 years ago and they had to change it back again as it doesn't work in the mornings it makes the mornings very dark Donny reckons at the end of the day it was a few MEPs who pushed this through and this is not the answer going forward. He clearly remembers when they trialled it and there was absolute uproar. He says it ran for two years, 1968 and 1969 and he said they changed their mind uh, on it well it doesn't look like they're going to change their minds this time round uh, Donny and I suppose they'll use the argument that we're in a different era now to what we were in 68 and uh, 69 Um We'll hear more about it, though, after 11. Now, yesterday, many listeners were shocked to hear Sinead tell the story of the attack of her 20-year-old son and his friend last Saturday evening near their home in Balancolic. When the incident was reported to the local Gardaí, they said there was nothing they could do, as they've only two Gardaí to police what is a large area. Local Dáil Deputy Andreas Moynihan uh, joins me about the lack of Garda visibility in the general Balancolic area. And he joins me, as you can hear, live from the Dáil and the Bell are ringing in the background. Uh, good morning to you, Andreas. Good morning, Patricia. Uh, and, and you're welcome. Now, this isn't a new issue for you. Well, what have you been trying to do to alert the powers that be to the lack of guard the resources in the area? Yeah, this is an issue that has been troubling people locally for, for some time because you've seen Balancholic grow dramatically over a number of years and locals have been raising with me that, they, that the visibility of guards isn't there the way it used to be. And we've been raising it at joint policing meetings directly with the guards uh, and also in parliamentary questions with the minister for to impress on them that, look, 
you've got a dramatic increase of population here, there needs to be a corresponding increase in the Gardaí and for, for to be able to, to police the area, to, to have visibility and so on. And like when you look at the numbers of new Gardaí that are being recruited and where they're going, Dublin is dominating on it and the, the numbers of Gardaí that are coming towards Cork aren't proportional to the growth uh, of the population. Well, now, there. you have it's, some interesting figures here to share with us on the new recruits. That's right. If you, if you look at the Cork City Garda division, where they've got 62 additional Gardaí in over the last four years, uh, North Cork got 33 and West Cork got 31. But when you compare this to other divisions around the country, the West Cork one is one of the lowest, fourth lowest of the 28 divisions across the country. And North Cork is also down there at the bottom. Um, and while they're and the, while they're, the but retirements. While, yeah, well, because while they're the recruit numbers, you also have to take into account how many that's retired. While new people came through the door, how many went out the door and left? That that's right. When when you take the retirements into account, the increase in Gardaí for Cork City is only nine wow. over those number of years. In North Cork, it's eleven, and in West Cork, it's ten. When you take out the retirements out of it, so you can see that the guards aren't getting the resources that they should. And in in spite of that, uh, and we're, we're shouting and roaring at them all the time, bring us increased visibility and extra guard We know that, for example, there's 14 guards based in Ballancolic. That's spread over the four shifts. It's a lot thinner. Um, now, in fairness to the guards, they are bringing on, uh, they're telling me, four new guards in a month's time for Ballancolic area. Um, and we've also been pressing on them to get to increase visibility with bringing the the traffic core. Now, this has been talked about for some time, uh, getting the traffic core based in Ballancolic. And if we increase visibility on the ground, they can only do so much with the resources they're getting. And you can see from the figures there that if there's only nine extra guards coming into to, to Cork over and above retirements, that they're stretched uh, West Cork ten extra when you take out the retirements. So Have really, you been you able to, to find out how they decide when they when they get the new bunch of recruits and however many hundred uh, are pa- have their passing out parade and they're ready to go out to the various stations? Who decides where and what's the criteria that's used? That that's the amazing question because when you see the the dramatic population growth in different areas it doesn't necessarily correspond with where the guards are going because each of the Dublin divisions will get much of 200 new recruits, where the, whereas the Cork division will get, the biggest one is 60. Uh, and you have, you have big population growth in, in different places. So, for example, in the minister's own area in Port Leash, they've seen 93 probationers brought in there um, and increased population areas like Cork and Ballincollig get only 62 so it doesn't follow population growth there's some other factor influencing where the guards are going uh, where the new guards are going and really what what you need to do is make sure that there are extra guards uh, being recruited uh, over and above the numbers that are that are retiring what we want to see is that there would be up to 15,000 guards by 2021 that that's what we've been pressing for uh, over over many many years on it and i've been in contact with our own jim o'callaghan uh, who's our spokesperson on it uh, that 
the numbers need to be increased towards that 15,000. The the rate at which things are moving at present just isn't keeping pace with population growth, retirements and the various other factors that are out there. There needs to be additional guards recruited. Some of the comments coming in. Eddie in Oven says there's a big new guard the station in Ballancolic, but now they've taken out some of the holding cells to make office space for some staff from Anglesey Station. That is what happens when you join borders, Cork and County. Mm. Yeah, what, what what's happening there is that the, the station, brand new station built over a number of years, big addition to the area, but the the, they follow a modular design and they're taking out the, some of that for to bring the traffic core into Ballincolleg. So it would be a very visible guard, the presence that would be coming in. It would be the, the cars, the guards, and it's not office staff. It's the, it's the traffic core that's being proposed to move into Ballincolleg. So it's, it's a very visible presence uh, that would be based there in Ballincolleg. Uh, and that will be in addition to the to the 14 that are there at the moment and the four others then that are due later on this summer. OK. And uh, somebody else says most guards uh, in Cork County are only sitting at crossroads waiting for somebody with two or three pints um, that they have uh, drunk. And I know yesterday when we were talking about the lack of visibility, people were saying that, yep, they, but they seem to be out doing drink driving uh, checks you can't blame individual guardy for that though they're sent out isn't that how that's done that's right and they like they're spread across a, a huge area but the the numbers of guards actually that are in the traffic core that they've actually dropped over recent years believe it or not that they um the so so that the the guards out doing the you know the the speed check and the we would have often seen them on the N22 doing the the um doing the speed check the drink driving and so on the numbers in the traffic core have actually been dropped over the last 10 years so there isn't as many doing it then that's is that, right. Is that what you're saying? That, and following right. Sinead's call yesterday, uh, Andreas, I mean, we had a number of calls from different areas saying that there, there appears to be a problem with gangs of teenagers causing problems and that the Gardaí simply are not able or don't want to do anything uh, about it. I mean, if we had more Garda visibility, do you think it would help with this problem of antisocial behaviour by teenagers? I've no doubt, but that the increased visibility of Gardaí would be a big plus on that. Also, the community Garda, the connection with the local people is so vital on it. And I know that having the increased visibility in Ballancolic would be a, a plus there. It's also so important that, you know, the contact and the connection uh, would be would be built up uh, in any in any area. We've seen a huge population growth. So if you imagine, it's twenty years now since the army barracks was vacated in Ballincollig, and you have a, a whole cohort of people who have come in over the years and grown up um, in Ballincollig. Um, there there needs to be a corresponding increase and a connection with the the guard the services. Now we've seen, for example, last. In recent weeks, where the guard services are doing certain outreach jobs, such as they are now the the T Day, uh, working with the Field of Dreams and the uh, the guide dogs recently, um, and those kind of steps they all reach into the into the community much and you know improve the the relations with the guardie. But there's nothing 
uh, you know, you're really, nothing beats the, the local contact, having the numbers of Gardaí out there uh, and the, the individual local connection, it's it's the best form of yeah. community policing. It's, and and it's, the way, it's the way we always had it, the local guard, the sergeant and the local Gardaí and they, and they knew everyone. That's right, and they, they need the numbers for to be able to do that. They can but only do so but, much. But, but Andreas, so what you need to do is to increase the numbers absolutely. overall. But isn't there also parental responsibility in all of this? And parents need to know what, what their young people, what their, their children are doing. Of course, yes. There's, there's a wide range of responsibilities on it. And I know that many parents will will have a, a good handle on what where, where, where their lads are. And then other times you'll, you'll struggle on it. Uh, Teenagers are going to be teenagers. They're going to be pushing the boundaries. They don't want to be under mom and dad's shadow all the time. Uh, so that that challenge is going to be there for parents. Um, and I know that parents are making every effort for to for to look after their own children and to to make sure they know where they are. But it's it's not always possible to do that. When you imagine that uh, with the phone, internet reaches into the bedroom. Uh, the lads are going to be below in the park or around town uh, you know they're, they're part of a wider community and you can't you can't keep keep the child wrapped up in cotton wool as much as you'd like to you know yeah okay alright we got to leave it there Andreas listen thank you for that and uh, thanks for joining us uh, this morning that is uh, Dole Deputy uh, Andreas Moynihan and by the way the Bandit Inn of Shannon Road is closed this morning that was due to an earlier accident between a truck and a car uh, Gardaí are diverting traffic locally near the town but the alternative route is to use Cross Barry but John Paul says we're now getting calls in from people using the Cross Barry Road saying traffic is really heavy especially with trucks and trucks trying to pass each other on very narrow sections of the road so if you can delay your journey until the abandoned in a Shannon uh, road is reopened that's the best advice we can give you today This is the Court Today replay on C103 now, last week we spoke about how members of Cork County Council were questioning the cost of the proposed Cork Limerick motorway, which Transport Infrastructure Ireland say will be 15 million euro for the 100 kilometre road, which is expected to cost 900 million euro to construct. The Cork Limerick Alliance Group are calling for the motorway to be rerouted, and they say it will cost considerably less. Chairperson of that group is Brian Hyde, uh, who joins me. Good morning to you, Brian. Good morning, Patricia. And I suppose, Brian, start by outlining why you're against the current proposal. Uh, first of all, I would like to say that Limerick and Cork need to be connected by motorway, and this is long overdue. Okay. The proposal at the moment is to build a motorway on the N20 corridor, which links Charleville, Bottomland and Mallow to Cork and Limerick. And this route is approximately about 80 kilometres long, costing around 900 million euros. Now, what we are proposing is using the N24 corridor, which would link Limerick to Kerr, which is 55 kilometres long, costing 550 million. Now, this is a saving to the taxpayer of 350 million. Now, this proposal would also link the M7 and M8 motorways. Now, what's needed on the N20 is bypasses for Charleville, Botovant, and Mallow. And the actual total traffic travelling directly between both cities is 3,000 vehicles daily on the N20. So what is being being proposed is to build a motorway which has the capacity to take 57,000 vehicles. Now, I just 
at, at this juncture, I just would like to say we had an independent inspector from on board Planola employed by the taxpayer, Danny O'Connor, who in his report to on board Planola recommended rejection of the M20 motorway. Now, the board never approved the M20 as it was withdrawn in November of 2011. Now, this fact has never been made public by uh, the politicians. And unfortunately, we have all the politicians from the political parties singing off the same hymn sheet in relation to the M20 project. And that the government's plan for 2040 is to build a motorway between Limerick and Waterford, which makes sense. But if the M20 motorway goes ahead, we will have two motorways linking Limerick and Cork, which is a shocking waste of taxpayers' money. But but you mentioned Charleville, Butterfield and and Mallow. I mean, they are three towns that currently are suffering traffic gridlock. They need this motorway. Well, they need bypasses. Yeah. Bypasses of... Now, Mallow needs the Northern Relief Road to be opened up. Um, Butterfield needs a bypass and so does Charleville. There is no justification in spending £900 to build a motorway between Limerick and Cork bringing all that traffic into Blackpool into a bottleneck. Now, in order to alleviate that bottleneck, they're going to have to build a ring road around the city to connect onto the M8, which is going to cost another £300 So even more money, you reckon, is going to be spent. Yeah, yeah. But Dave, who is Dave the van driver, so he he signs off his text, says, uh, with the motorway direct from Cork to Limerick, it will take about 50 minutes. Cork to Limerick via Care would take about an hour and a half. What would be the point of the Care route when Cork to Limerick at the moment takes about an hour and 15 minutes? It would be absolutely madness to even consider the Care route. And that's somebody who drives a van every day, obviously. Depends on what point you start and what point you end. Now, I would look at it taking a distance from the Jack Lynch Tunnel uh, to Limerick uh, on the M20 motorway is 107 kilometres long. If one goes on our proposal, the Jack from the, the distance from the Jack Lynch Tunnel to Limerick, V-Care, is 118 kilometres long, which is 11 kilometres. But yet, part of that motorway is already built uh, via the M8 to, to Care. Tim says, I was in Tipperary yesterday. Do those that want to reroute the road, do they ever think about Mallow to the Mallow to Mitchellstown Road? That road, a uh, lot needs to be done on it. Um, so will that happen with, with a different proposal? Again, they seem to be thinking of drivers coming from Cork City, but not those coming from other areas of North Cork. Yeah. No, I think, Patricia, I think we need to look at the bigger picture. Like, Dublin is coming to great luck in relation to development. We need to develop the regions. We need to develop Waterford, Cork, Limerick and Galway. Now Cork is not going to be able to do it on its own. Now in order to develop those regions you need uh, connectivity between the cities i.e. good infrastructure. Now the government's plan as I said earlier on for 2040 is actually building a motorway between Limerick and Waterford which makes sense. So if that's going ahead the motorway will be connecting onto the M8 at care, you know. Mm. Yeah, but people might, might say to, to, you know, 2040, will that ever happen? Well, you know, they, we, 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 may make, we make plans, but I mean, if, if we really are serious in taking the development out of um, uh, Dub- Dublin and into the regions, we have to look at this. 
you know, and, yeah. and I think John Moran, who was former Secretary General of the Department of Finance, has, has, has done a very good report on that and to try and develop the region and taking everything out of Dublin, if, if, if that's possible. And I should, that is a good point as well. Has the idea of the Cork to Limerick motorway ever been seriously looked at by the TII or indeed the NRA, which it uh, was before it was the TII? Did, have they ever looked at it seriously? In, no, you're talking about the um, the N24 you, yeah, your, yeah, your proposal no, of having the motorway from Care to Limerick. No, they haven't looked at it. And even the inspector said in his report that it hadn't even been looked at or costed, you know. So in my view is that we, you know, we have to be re- responsible in relation to um, taxpayers' money. I mean, Dublin, we have the National Children's Hospital fiasco, and now we're going to have in Cork and Limerick the M20 fiasco. Poor planning and no accountability in both cases. Were you surprised to hear £15 million to be spent on a new design plan when the old design plan is there? Well, you see, there's a requirement from, from Europe in relation, because the proposal was um, withdrawn on the 22nd of November in 2011, there's a requirement from Europe that the both councils and the TIA have to present um, five options uh, in relation to um, the motor design and and then they wiggle it down to the final design. So that's a requirement because there's a new planning application that has to go into Europe. So basically the the old plan has to be uh, mothballed. Yes, and that is a waste of tax. Absolutely. Uh, And particularly the amount, uh, 15 million. Okay, uh, and are you getting any response from the powers that be to even to take a look at your proposal? Well, I met Brian Murphy, who is um, Leo um, Brecker's advisor, uh, when Leo was in, the teacher was in, in transport, when he was Minister for Transport. And we spoke at length about this, and he thought it was a very good proposal. And this was after the motorway was shelved by the government. And all I said to them at the time was that if the motorway resurrected itself again, at least that our option would be looked at and costed by the government. Now, I also spoke to Pascal O'Donoghue at the Dublin Chamber of Commerce dinner in October and at length in relation to this, and he was not aware of um, Danny O'Connor's uh, report in relation to recommending rejection of, of the motorway. And he said it hadn't been signed off by him and he certainly would be looking at our report. OK, we'll keep a close eye on this, uh, Brian. In the meantime, thank you for that and uh, thanks for joining us on the programme. Thank you. Uh, good morning to you. That is the chairperson of that uh, group, the Cork Limerick Alliance uh, group, uh, Brian uh, Hyde. Uh, Dave says, what about a bit of forward thinking? We need motorways between both Cork and Limerick and Limerick and Waterford. Look at the United Kingdom. They have motorways between all uh, cities. We are so far behind when it comes to uh, motorways. And someone else, it's to do with Cork to Limerick, but on, a, on somebody using public transport. Texter says, I'm just wondering, what are the chances of getting the Cork to Limerick bus to stop at New Tupot House. There's safe parking and there's even footpaths. We've lost our lovely Palmer's shop and uh, post office. Uh, yeah, I was sad to hear that the post office was going. Um, and I didn't, uh, so I didn't realise the shop was gone uh, as well. But I suppose if they were going to close one, they were going to close uh, both. That will be a huge loss to the people in and around uh, New Tupot House. But I wonder, has anybody, have you tried getting on to you know, there and to see if, if it's 
it's possible. Have you had a bus stop there in the past? Was there ever a bus stop? Um, I, I think if you get enough people saying that they would use it as a bus stop in or there and might seriously look at it if they think that there's business to to be had you would need to contact them direct though and find out from local people if they are interested how many would be interested in having the bus uh, stop thank you for your text to 0862 103 103 we're going to take a break coming up in the next hour we'll be discussing the clocks going forward on Saturday how many more times will this be happening are we going to be finishing it off for once and for all so also catching up with the Frank and Walters and ahead of a concert in aid of Chase who are in the High Court objecting to the incinerator at Ring Skiddy. all to come in the next hour You're listening to Cork Today on replay phone and text lines are currently closed the European Parliament yesterday said that the seasonal clock changes should be abolished in 2021 and it's now up to each member state to choose between winter and summertime. Ireland South MEP Deirdre Clune is very much in favour of abolishing the clock uh, changes and she joins me once again to discuss the issue in uh, more detail. Good morning to you Deirdre. We, Good morning Patricia. We've discussed this on many, many occasions uh, in the past. It finally looks like we are getting closer to it. How does each country decide which time it will go with and when will the changes happen? Well, each country at the moment is have, is undertaking a consultation or is in the process of it or has done so uh, with their citizens as to what, what they want to see. Um, and then we'll see how that moves forward. It's in our own country and at home, in our, well, in Ireland, it's the Minister for Justice, Charlie Flanagan, Department uh, is responsible for it, and they have had a consultation. They carried it out last autumn, I think um, August September time. I know I responded myself, and um, I haven't. We haven't yet seen the results, but they're still um, analysing it, and maybe even this week, because it's pertinent this week, they may have some something to say on that. But um, well, it's expected. What we'll we'll go with summertime. Is it? Is that, is that well, the that's thinking? I haven't met many people who think we should go winter yeah. time, but but it's expected summertime. But I'd also say it's expected. It's being asked as well. Do you want to change at all, or do you want to remain with the changing and the process of changing every six months, or do you want to scrap that altogether? I think that's that's one question. You know, do we find it inconvenient, or do you you're happy to continue to do it? And if you say yes, you want to stop the changes, um, then well, then what do you want, summertime or winter time? So there's two two questions there. Um, we need to take one step at a time. I think we should stop the changes because of, you know every six months it's, it is inconvenient and it does lead to sleep disruption and biorhythm disruption and um, for, for lots for those kind of reasons I think it's better from a well-being point of view. And um, I, so we should stop the changes and um, I'd, I'd offer summertime myself, but we'll see what the consultation is. I and noticed France this week um, came out with their report that they cons- they have consulted and two, mi- two million citizens responded and they were overwhelmingly in favour of stopping abolishing the changes and staying with summertime. And just remind listeners why and when this all was introduced. It's it's over 100 years ago now, isn't it? It's over 100 years ago, yeah. It was started, um, yeah, to daylight, daylight saving, really, is what, what it's called, daylight saving, to save, be more active in the early, in the morning when you had light and uh, to restrict the use of energy. Um, that's that's when it came in. Uh, it was, and then that that was in some countries. It was it's coordinated now by an EU directive since the 80s. It's coordinated across every European state. Uh, that we would all change together um, on the the last Saturday in March, as we know, and then in October as well. So every country either 
uh, we, we all spring forward and leap back at the same time. But uh, so that's a coordinated under a directive. And now, this the reason we're at this point is there's been a lot of um, uh, a lot of discussion and a lot of consultation, a lot of petitions as well. There's been petitions as well to say you know we want to stop the clock change. The European Commission themselves had a consultation with European citizens, and there was an overwhelming response to stop it. Uh, I know in our own doll we've had um, numerous private members' bills, well, at least, at least two that I'm aware of, anyway, one from Tommy Bruin, and I know David Stanton as well has been very active in this area to, to look at the whole issue of, of clock change. So this, it's been bubbling away, if you mm. like, all the time. But this time it's more real in that the Commission proposed a directive and they said, look, European citizens seem to want to stop the clock changes, so I'm saying we do it. And um, so when that happens, when the Commission proposes a directive, as they have done, it goes to the Parliament and it goes to all the member states. Now, the Parliament this week finally has said we want to um, abandon the clock changes, stop the clock changes. Will there but be now, problems? I mean, you, you straight away think of timetabling and uh, airline schedules. Yes, there will be. There could be problems, yeah. Um, but no, I don't think so. I mean, airline schedules, we have the changes anyway and that, they run, that runs smoothly anyway, you know. Um, so... We should be able to get over any possible. We should be able to get over yeah. all that. And, I mean, and the, the thing is, once you're over that, I mean, there will be disruption and there will be changes if you, if you want to change. But once you get over the change, then um, we're into smooth sailing where we don't have any changes at all. And you yeah. don't have to factor that in. And there's been a, a lot of support across Europe for this, hasn't A lot there? of support yeah. for this, yeah. A lot of support. Um, people feel it's, 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 it's past its sell-by date, is that word to use, but it's, it's no longer relevant. And um, we, we could do without the disruption. Um, so I think it's, uh, you know, a lot of support, as you say, and uh, this is where we're at. We have mm. a decision at the Parliament. It's now up to the member states. And so they'll have to come up with their view as, as any piece of legislation that goes through. You have to have, uh, it has to go round the houses, as it were, to get to a final So point. it would be two years. So it two years. Possibly this time, two years when we're putting the clocks forward to go into summertime, that could that be it. Then. Yeah, that, that, that would be it. it. Yeah. Actually, I yeah. was interested, and I wasn't aware of this, but Russia decided back in 2011 to switch to permanent uh, summertime for all the reasons that we're talking uh, yeah. about, and in particular to improve citizens' well-being, because we know depression is linked, particularly with the winter months and SAD and, and all of that. All but that, then, yeah. for whatever reason, they switched to permanent wintertime in 2014. There was uh, public complaints. I don't know why. But they've, but they, but but they, they went from summer to winter time. But anyway, they, but they have the one time now uh, all the year round, time, yeah. which is which is what we're aiming for. Of course, which is the, what we're aiming for, yeah, to avoid inconvenience. The big yeah. question is is Brexit and what will happen after Brexit. I was reading in the papers today that if if the UK is still with the uh, EU, as it looks like it's certainly going to be for another little while anyway, they then will stick with whatever the EU decides to do. But then after Brexit, what happens? Well, after Brexit, that'll be a matter for for themselves. If Brexit happens, but that'll be a matter for themselves. Um, uh, and they will be outside the European Union. We won't. I would, I would I would maintain it's in their interest to stick as close as possible to their trading, the trading bloc that is the European Union, which um, they will be doing most of their business with. But that's a matter for themselves. But I read in, I read in the papers today that the EU, the the UK has previously indicated that the country may stick with the current system, that they like the current system. And that obviously would have the potential for two time zones on the island of Ireland. 
that's that would be uh, you know that that would be messy, <laughs> not difficult. But I mean that that's what part of this legislation is that there will be areas where we will require some sort of kind of harmonisation. But I mean, I I think like what what the, what that has been said. But I've also seen legislation, and it's been discussed in the UK Parliament as well that they wanted to go um, with abolishing the clock changes. So I think that's um, up for discussion with them as well. They haven't they haven't made any. Dis- there has been private members' bills as we have had in ours, but there hasn't been any formal decision. So um, it's all. I mean, I know there's going to be difficulties, and everybody will have their opinion. But that's what this is about: to sit around the table and get some of some level of harmonisation in the whole area. And you know, I think we'll you know we'll throw up the what we will throw will throw up will be the, the difficulties, and yes, they can be ironed out. Okay, and seeing as we've mentioned the dirty word of uh, Brexit, mm. what's the what's the feeling on the ground uh, today? We oh. are very close uh, to Friday, the date we've been all talking about for a number of years, and it just seems so far away. And suddenly, the twenty ninth of March uh, is very close. What's what's the feeling on the ground today? The feeling um, on the ground, which is watching what's happening in the UK, I think the feeling is that we may get to a point where we'll have an extension. Um, but whether that'll be, obviously we're going to have an extension until for a short period, but if they go longer, um, everybody's just watching. I mean, looking for, looking, not looking forward, to watching what votes they're going to, or what's going to happen in the in the House of Commons today, Wednesday, with all those indicative votes. Um, we've had a debate here in Strasbourg. We've had a debate this morning in the Parliament and. Um, it's just it's clear from President Juncker spoke, Donald Tusk spoke and Michel Barnier that it's a matter for the United Kingdom and they remain open to you know, to propose they may come forward, but they have to respect uh, the conditions of the Good Friday Agreement and that has to be part of any arrangement with oh, them. Okay, so, so it's clear it's a matter it's really it's clear now it's a matter for the United Kingdom to come forward with what they're doing and people are watching their, their process in the House of Commons and to see what comes from that. So all all eyes on that. And already, and already for another council meeting, should that be needed. Okay, okay, all right, uh, dear. Listen, thank you for that, and uh, I know you've got to get to a meeting, so we appreciate you taking time out to talk to us today. Good morning to you. That is Ireland South MEP Dear De Clune on the clock changes. So, because a lot of people, and I've heard a lot of people, and I've seen a lot of people on the internet talking about this, uh, thinking that this. Saturday and don't forget it is this Saturday that the clocks spring forward an hour and a lot of people think that's the last time they were, that they will do it it's not we'll, we, we certainly will be doing it across next year 2020 and then into 2021 but this time two years this weekend two years we could be doing it for the very last uh, time and uh, we'll, we, we will wait and see what comes out of Brexit as, and to what happens with the United uh, Kingdom. It would be a ludicrous situation to think that you would drive across the border and there would be an hour time difference between uh, be, 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 on our own island of uh, Ireland. And just on Brexit, Michael says, Patricia, hi, the UK deeply divided throughout its land, more so in the House of Commons, where there's absolutely no consensus about what to do. Coming with that situation or consequences for investment, etc., while across the world, people are watching one of the countries, one of the world's leading players, lost in decision and are about to step down from one of the power groupings that is going to determine the rest of the century, largely at the behest of the older generation who seem indifferent to the wishes of the younger generation who would be much more and will be much more affected by what's happened than the people who took the decision in the first place. The longer people are watching the Brexit saga, 
the more concerned they become. And in light of the broken promises made at the time of the referendum, there should now be another referendum. I think there is demand for that. The UK have never seriously considered or debated the significance of Brexit itself. By voting to leave the EU, it is voting to make itself poorer. It is voting to reduce its power and influence in the world and voting to deprive a younger generation of the privileges that many of the older generation enjoyed through EU membership. Furthermore, the £39 billion that will have to be paid, deal or no deal, it will have to be borrowed by the present government and repaid by the generation of young people that don't want to leave in the first place. At the moment, all they're talking about is leaving the EU. Nothing about the detail after leaving. That's when the can of worms will really open. World War II will only be trotting after it, um, says Michael. I mean, you make some very valid points, particularly about the younger generation in the United Kingdom. And I remember last year when I was over in the UK, over in England, and I was speaking with a group of young people and we were talking about Brexit and and even then the 29th of March seemed so far away and they were all of the belief, oh, we will never leave the EU, we can't, we don't want to leave the EU. And these were young people who had just become 18, so they didn't get the opportunity to vote. But they were saying that the number of young people who were so worried and don't want to leave the EU, and that very point was made that it seems to be the older generation who are not going to be around to suffer the long-term implications of this decision. But I suppose, you know, the people in the House of Commons and Theresa May and and the MPs will say there was a democratic vote taken. Now, it was a narrow majority carried it. So there are a a big chunk of people who voted not to leave Brexit, of course, who who, who feel like that they're not having their voices uh, heard. But the younger generation, I don't know what was the proportion of younger people that got out uh, to vote. I mean, we've seen in this country when we rally the young people and when the young people get together and when we saw it on the marriage equality legislation, we saw it on the vote for uh, abortion. The younger generation got out in force. I don't know if the younger generation got out in force in the United Kingdom for the vote on Brexit. But I mean, Michael makes another valid point. There was a lot of misinformation in the lead up to that referendum. And there was lies. There was absolutely blatant lies uh, told. And that discussion as to what does the United Kingdom look like post-Brexit, that's never been explained to people. And I still think it even now it's not getting explained uh, to people. Uh, thank you for your text, Michael, to uh, 0862 103 103. C103 Jobs. Now, a person is wanted to help with tidying a farmyard and general maintenance. It's in the Castle Magna, Canturk area. It may actually suit a part-time uh, worker. A bar staff is required for Scully's Bar. That's in Newmarket. Please apply... Um through their website. Uh, retail sales assistant is required for the Mill Street area and Vodafone and Bandon and Clonakilty, they're expanding their sales team. Full and part-time roles are available. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. When it comes to home care, we all want safe, dependable and trustworthy care for our loved ones. 
Home and Away Care West Cork is a HSC preferred home care provider ensuring quality home care, helping you stay healthy and happy in your own home. So if you require more home care or if you're a home care assistant and would like to join our West Cork Home and Away Care team, contact Joan on 087 36 91 013. Home and Away Care. Time to care. Time for you. This week at Dunn Stores, it's all about Mother's Day. Get any two boxes of selected chocolates, including Lindor and Ferrero Rocher, for just €12. And we have stunning Mother's Day bouquets and flowers to choose from. Save more with our €10 off every 50 grocery voucher. Dunn Stores. Always better value. See online for terms and conditions. Minimum spend required. Did you know that electronic and lighting equipment are two-way streams that are free to recycle? Just bring them to your local authority recycling centre or electrical retailer and save on your waste charges today. Recycle for free with WE. For details on what and where you can recycle, go to smallthingsmatter.ie. This is a message from WE Ireland, the scheme for electrical and battery recycling. Spring is in the air at Top Drawer Photo Retail Park. Freshen up your bedroom with our amazing 5-star 100% cotton bed linen. And don't miss the extra discount for this week only. Put the wow back in your bedroom with Top Drawer Photo Retail Park. Open seven days. Don't miss out. Cabinets of Charleville. With only days to go before month end... Now is the time to avail of our amazing 191 offers on new Focus, EcoSport and Kuga before it's too late. Take advantage of our 7-year manufacturer warranty, 7-year free roadside assistance and 2 years free service. Visit our Charleville or Mallow dealership and register your new Ford before March 30th to avail of these great offers. You will find a better deal, of Charleville. So don't delay, call us today or visit our website cavernous.com for more. Record today on C103. Call Patricia with your comment. 1850 333 103. Now Ken Parrott and the C103 Street Fleet are this morning as we speak in Formoy uh, for the Cork Simon Coffee Morning. Let's hook up with Ken uh, to see how it is all going. Thanks Patricia. We are in Formoy at the moment and we're down for one of our Cork Simon Coffee Mornings. We're here across the morning and there's loads going on. There's a draw in the clubhouse. We're sitting out on the green enjoying a cup of coffee, watching people play pitch and push with the GAA Club to our right hand side. Beautiful morning for it, beautiful setting for it. So we'd invite you to come and join us at Formoy Pitch and Put Club for their Cork Simon Coffee Morning. If you'd like more information, corksimon.ie forward slash coffee morning. Proudly supported by C103. Thanks Ken. It sounds an idyllic place to go and have a cup of coffee sitting out watching people on the putting green. Thanks for that uh, Ken and good luck to uh, the Cork Simon community doing a tremendous work. Some reaction to Brian Hyde who joined us in the last hour with his suggestion and the group that he represents are suggesting that the Cork to Limerick motorway should simply be scrapped and that we need to almost go back to the drawing board even though you know, people would say they, they are going back to the drawing board when you look at the cost that they're going to the TII are going to spend on a new design plan for the Cork Limerick motorway. He's saying that the road instead, forget about the Cork Limerick motorway and instead route the motorway through care. So you would have a care to Limerick motorway instead of a Cork to Limerick one. Some of your 
thoughts coming in on that. Derek in Blackpool says, could they not do a public-private partnership and toll the Cork to Limerick motorway going via Mallow, Butterfant and Charleville? I drive because of work to Limerick twice a week and I would be more than happy to pay the usual toll price of €1.90 for a safer road. I'd have no problem at all at paying it. I think a lot of people who have to travel that road regularly, Derek, would agree with you. Alison and Mitchellstown uh, was listening to Brian and thinks Brian makes a lot of sense. So much money has already been wasted on the M20 and yet we have no road built. We don't need another convention centre type scenario for North Cork. And that's the way Alison feels that it is going. And obviously, if they went with the proposal, Alison, if you're in Mitchellstown, the proposal to route the motorway from a care would, would ideally would ideally suit you if you needed to get to uh, Limerick. And Noreen in Mallow says, if the road does go via care, what about businesses in North Cork? Yes, we need a bypass in Mallow, but we also need the passing trade. The motorway would boost the North Cork area unlike the current gridlock that we are experiencing with the motorway. More people would move to Mallow to live as it would reduce commute time to both Cork and Limerick. Mallow could then become the hub, the hub that we've been hearing about for so many years and nothing at all has happened about uh, it. OK, there was some of your thoughts coming in following Brian Hyde's interview um, in the last hour. On the clock changes, breathe in column. I think the time change should stay the way it is, that we spring forward in the summer and we fall back in the autumn. It should say because, but said, has anybody stopped to think what it's going to be like in December? It'll be dark until 10 o'clock in the morning in the winter months if we don't have daylight saving hours, if we don't put the clocks back in the winter months. Uh, my worry is children going to school in the dark says Breathe in column and you know the person who earlier made the point about that we did trial this there was a trial of not doing daylight saving hours in the late 60s and it was changed back one of the reasons I remember when I looked into because I don't remember it but I, I remember doing some research on it when we started talking about this God about 10 years ago and I wasn't aware that there had been a trial period in six, I think it was 68 and 69 so I did some research on it and one of the things that came out was the dangers of children going to school in the morning but what we have to remember is children going to school in 1968 and 1969 versus children going to school in 2021 which is when it'll happen which is when we'll get those dark winter mornings, is very different. The children in the 60s walked to school or they went on their bicycles if they were lucky enough to have a bicycle. Whereas the children of today get driven by their parents. We also have much better street lighting. Now, I know people will say, hang on now, children, rural area, accept that. But certainly in the towns and built up areas, there's much better street lighting than there would have been back in the 60s. So I don't know if we're going to have the same level of dangers exposed to our children if we stop putting the clocks forward and back as we did of those young people in the 60s. But I suppose only time will tell. And that's they're exactly the kind of conversations that are going to be had in this process, in this period now. I mean, the EU made their decision this week. They're now 
handing it back over to each of the member states. Each of the member states now have to decide in their own country what is best for their own country. The EU are directing, we're, we're going to abolish it, but now they've got to decide is it going to be the winter time? Is it going to be the, be the uh, summer time? So I suppose all of those arguments and worries and concerns that people have will get discussed over the next period of time. And I think we have, did I read somewhere that, that the EU wants to hear back from other countries April of next year? I think that's it because it's got to be whatever's put in place has got to be put in place then for March of the following year. Thank you for your text though, Breda, to 0862 uh, 103 103. Hi, Patricia. Uh, could you tell us please what are the old age pensioners getting their rise their, the, the five euro uh, it's this week whenever whatever day you pick up a pension some people will be picking up whatever social welfare payments you, you whenever you pick it up the five euro that was announced in last October's budget kicks in from this week so if you get paid you're, in this case it's an old age pensioner they're normally paid on Fridays am I right Does somebody get it on Thursday they're normally on a Friday so when you go to pick it up this week you'll get your extra five euros somebody else says this is a backdated to last October well you can dream on if you think that's going to ever happen no sadly it's not Patricia you mentioned somebody asking about a bus stop and why don't they have a the Cork to Limerick bus why doesn't it stop a new two-pot house because there's footpath and an area for buses to pull in why don't they stop there? Uh, well, this listener says, Patricia, on the issue of bus stops, the bus stop outside the entrance to Mallow Hospital, the one that goes to Mallow, certainly does not stop at a safe spot. It stops on the margin of the road. And when one is getting off the bus, it is so, so uh, dangerous. And the Mallow Hospital very close to New Tupac House. I wonder how people would feel about moving that bus stop if that bus stop is as dangerous as this listener claims it is and yet there's a safe space to stop just up the road in New Tupac House. Would it not make sense to move the, the bus stop? I don't know how people who get on and off the bus outside Mallow Hospital though would feel about that. 1850 I can see some questions coming in for Peter. Please keep those coming because Peter Dowdell, our resident gardener, will join us in the final hour of the programme. The Cork Harbour Alliance for Safe Environment, known as CHASE, a community group that has worked tirelessly and voluntarily since 2001 to oppose the construction of an incinerator in Ringa Skiddy are organising a fundraising event at Ballymaloo Grain Store. It's down for Sunday, April 14th with the wonderful Frank and Walters, the headline act. Joining me from the group Chase is uh, Linda Fitzpatrick. Good morning to you, Linda. Good morning, Patricia. Uh, Linda, do you know, I, when I knew you were coming on today, I was just reminding myself of, of your story, not that I needed really to be reminded of it, but I can't believe that you've been fighting this since 2001 when Chase was first and when Chase was first set up did anyone expect you'd still be here fighting it in 2019? No, we can't really believe it either um, if someone had said back in 2001 that it was going to take this amount of time I, I don't know what we would have done um, it's just been year after year after year and it's going on and on and on um, nobody expected it to go on for this long and it just gets it, it just builds up more issues as it goes along I mean, when you would have first joined, you your children were young. They were, yeah, they were. Um, I had um, a son. I had three children at that stage. I had a son who was just born, and he's eighteen this June. Oh. Um, and I've had oh. another son born since. You know, um, unreal. 
It's just, yeah. it really is unreal. And you are all volunteers. Yeah. Uh, so funding the fight yourself. So, yeah. you know, this fundraising event that we're going to be plugging in a moment is, is so important. But the, have you any idea on the amount of money you've raised over the years? Um, we're committing it's about 600,000 anyway. That's what it's cost um, to fight this. That's, a, that's an estimate because it comes in in bits and pieces and our cost in bits and pieces. But we've had so many legal pieces and so many hearings. Um, but it's, it's around that figure. It's definitely over 500,000. God, when you think how that money could be spent locally. Oh, you know, It's very much getting to um, a level that, that the amount of money raised is kind of close to scandalous. That would, that would do an awful lot. And not just the money that's been raised, but the hours yeah. that people have put into raising the money and fighting this. Um, could have been spent locally on other projects, you know, and probably would have because people like to be involved in things. Um, no, the effort and the cost of this is um, highlighting the problems with it, really. It hasn't It hasn't stopped you fighting on, though. Just remind uh, listeners, Linda, of the effect that this incinerator would have on the area. Um, well, there's so many people opposed to it for different reasons. Um chases um, a group of groups really and if you look at where the groups are located it's a necklace of groups from around the harbour and down as far as Kinsale um, and different people have different concerns about it people are concerned about the health impact the safety risk that it involves being so close to, to Cove um, and so close to the Maritime College um, the site itself is seriously unsuitable um, both geographically and from a flood risk point of view um, and it's not at all in keeping with either, I suppose, the direction that people would like to see that area of the harbour going in to bring some, um, I suppose, work-life balance into the area. And it's not in keeping with the current development down there either, which is focused on research and development and tourism um, and education. So all those reasons um, are, are, I suppose, why the people in the local area are involved in it. And on top of that, as the years have gone by, um, and climate change has become such a big issue it just doesn't make sense to be burning our resources instead of moving towards the circular economy which is what um, Europe is telling. Um so for all those reasons um, people are opposed to it and the three inspectors who've heard um, the three oral hearings you know, have all recommended refusing it um, site, site, um, site suitability has come up all the time with each of them mm-hmm. and then there's been um, you know, other area, other 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 points that each of them have had, but no inspector has found fit to recommend granting permission um, for this incinerator on this site. Um, In- including, so, including like senior inspectors with yeah. on board Planola yeah. came back and said that they, yeah. the site oh, was unsuitable. And three of them, you know, it's not it's not one of them, it's not two of them, it's three of them, it's each application you know, that goes in. Um, the same response comes back. Um, yes, here we are facing grants of planning. Yeah, and that, did that come as a complete shock? That was last July, wasn't it? When the latest was it July? Oh, um, it was. It was. It was. Um, sorry, it was. It was um, the end of May. End of May. Um, yeah. Okay. Um, did it come as a complete shock? Um, no, it didn't, because um, I suppose Indivar had 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 three years um, prior to actually lodging the application. Um, in pre-consultation with Board Panola. And that really does weight the whole process in favour of the developer, I suppose. Um, but then the points that were raised at the hearing, you know, where the dioxin figures um, that were found to be incorrect, um, you know, were highlighted. We, we really thought that, that would put an end to that. Um, 
But then when we stand, stood back and looked objectively at, at the process and the waiting, you know, not, not the waiting as in the hesitating, but the, the waiting, W-E-I-G-H-D-I-N-G, yeah. against the community, you know, um, we would have been naive to think it was going to be refused automatically, really. We would have think, thought that it should have been refused, but to expect a refusal, um, we've been in the game too long, really. And of course, because you've been in the game too long, you weren't going to give up that easy. So yeah, you know, exactly. a legal challenge against the granting of granting of that planning permission uh, opened in the High Court last week, wasn't it? Yes. OK, yes, what's yes. the bring us up to date? What's happening there? Um, the hearing is being heard. Last, last week was um, it was Chase's barristers presenting um, okay. our case in the High Court. And this week, um, Bortpanol are going first and then Indivar are presenting their case. Um, and then at the end of that process, um, Chase Barristers gets the chance to wrap up, and um, then the judge is probably going to reserve judgment, um, and we'll just be waiting for his decision. And how long have you any idea on a time frame? No, that? no, we how, don't actually know that. How much does a high court challenge cost? Oh, um, we haven't got the bills in yet, um, but it's definitely, um, you know, in the hundreds of thousands rather than in the thousands or anything like that. Um, there's three senior council, sorry, two senior council, one junior council working. You have to put together a good team or yeah. there's no point. You have no choice. You have no point going there unless you're bringing no. with you the best team. So yeah, hence exactly. the reason, hence the reason hence for, the reason more, for more fundraising. <laughs> and now, yeah. now this particular one that you've planned for the Ballymaloo Grain Store, this looks like a stunning night out. Absolutely, absolutely. It does. And um, I mean, you know, the massive um, groundswell of fundraising that's happened is just indicative of the huge opposition that there is to this around the harbour. And um, really, it floored us, um, all the events that were held and that continue to be held. And we're so grateful to everybody and um, to the Frank and Walters and all the other bands that are coming together um, to put this fundraiser together. Um, it's incredible. And there's um, it looks like it's going to be really popular. There's loads of bookings flooding in. Um, that doesn't surprise me. Doesn't it? No, really doesn't. Yeah. No, no. And I, I mean, everybody's so good to do it. And Bally Malou have been have been so supportive down through the years, you know. Um, and it's just it's great. We, it's, it's really appreciated, and it's it's amazing. Okay, and tickets are on sale at Eventbrite, isn't it? They are, yeah, they're on sale on event, at um, Eventbrite, yes, Eventbrite. 25 Bally. euro for adults, 12 euro for children um, under the age of 12. So obviously you're hoping to make it a family event. If you want to yes, bring the, bring, yes, bring the children? Yes, it's, it's, not, um, it's not a late evening event. Um, it's an event that um, families can go to. And um, I mean, it's a beautiful environment down there and there's fabulous bands on. So um, we're hoping to be a huge success. Okay, we were hoping to have Paul Lennon from the Frank and oh. Walters, but he's unfortunately we can't get through on his oh. phone line for some reason. Um, but he's he's a big supporter of, of Chase, Linda. Yes, yes, um, absolutely. Um, I mean, the, the support that's there from, like, it's hard to find somebody who will come on the radio and say, actually, this is a great idea, um, other than Indivar themselves. You know, the support from, from Frank and Walters and the other bands and, like, everybody is just it's amazing. You know, great. It's great to have it fabulous and it's, it's fantastic that everybody's really just banding together you know this really is the definition of community effort this whole thing and it's the one good thing that's out of it um, it's brought people together around the harbour and it's, it's brought the community together and in a way it kind of defines community because um, there's no way that this fight could have been put up um, if it's just a small group of people you know it's not it's a community um, you know community effort yeah, and it's everybody, you know, thinking of the future and you're doing it, it for, for your children and your children's children. Absolutely. That's what it's yeah, all about. Absolutely. And okay. nobody wants to be looking at this in 20 or 30 years' time, you know, thinking, why, why did we actually 
why should we let this happen, you know? Okay, well, if we can't have Paul Lenahan from the Frank and Walters, we can't have the Frank and Walters by song. That's what we're going to do instead. Listen, Linda, Super. good luck. Okay. Good luck Thanks with us. Thanks for Thank that. You. And uh, uh, we will keep uh, people updated on what is happening with that legal challenge. They are before the High Court as we speak. Here, here are Frank and Walters. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary.
If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program. That is the wonderful Frank and Walters and after all Ballymaloograin store on Sunday the April the 14th with all of the proceeds going to uh, Chase Eventbrite dot ie if you want to get uh, your tickets and tickets uh, by all accounts are selling uh, really really quickly I wouldn't be a bit surprised to hear that that becomes a sellout gig so if you really are intending to go I would suggest getting your tickets in plenty of time we mentioned about the five euro extra that was announced in the budget by the government for social welfare recipients and an old age pensioner was on to say could I find out when are they going to get their money and it's been paid out this week. Somebody has already been on to say Patricia I got my five euro extra in my disability payment today because the disability payments are paid on a Wednesday. Yeah the increase has kicked in as and from last Monday the 25th so whatever day you get your payment the extra five euro is included. I, I kind of sarcastically said on Monday when we were telling people that it was due you in to not, to not spend it all in the in the one shop and don't go absolutely mad with it but thank you for letting me know that it, it has been it is starting to come into people's bank accounts or if you pick up your money at the post office however you pick up your weekly payment you will be getting an extra five euro this week Jim Imbantier says Patricia the Ballymacquark cross is as bad as ever cars are whizzing by when will they do something it's all gone quiet again there was that accident that you highlighted a couple of weeks ago could they not at least erect warning signs or put in those yellow bump you know the 
speed bumps onto the road. I, yeah, I don't know if, if they will introduce speed bumps, but maybe signage. And I know we did speak about it again with Bernard Moynihan, the local councillor who's been very active in trying to get Ballymcourt Cross it's been sanctioned for a roundabout, but that's going to take time. And and I know I can sense your frustration, Jim. The worry is that what will happen in the meantime while we're waiting for that roundabout to be built. Actually, myself and Jan Paul had to go out on a, on a road trip a few weeks ago, last week, wasn't it, yeah? And we were driving along by Ballymacourt Cross and I could not get over the speed of the cars because any time we talk about it, particularly the speed of the cars coming from the Kerry side, coming from the Killarney side, where people please slow down on that stretch of road because we really don't want to be talking about a tragedy uh, at it. Thank you for your comments, uh, Jim. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. When this news starts to get out to people, Ward and Burke Construction, who are working on behalf of the OPW in the town and have been carrying out flood defence works, they have just announced that with the flood defence works for Clonakilty, the there will be a closure of Kent Street and the car park from the 29th of April through to the 31st of October. So for the entire summer period and into the autumn Kent Street uh, will be closed. Now they are telling us that a public information clinic will be held in O'Donovan's Hotel on Wednesday the 3rd of uh, April if people want to find out more and obviously they're looking for the cooperation of uh, people but I imagine in the summer months with the amount of tourists around the closure of Kent Street and the car park. There's also a car park there and the it will so the car park will be closed to um, vehicle traffic. Pedestrian access though will be maintained. The closure they say of Kent Street will not take place until such time as Connolly Street is reopened to traffic and diversions will be in place for the duration of the works and arrangements will, will be made with affected businesses regarding deliveries and the public will be kept informed by regular updates uh, on the project website which is ie. They say options regarding alternative parking during the period are currently being discussed. So, because uh, that was going to be my next question, <laughs> where are they asking people to park? So they're being discussed at the moment. So as I say, there will be a public information meeting in a Donovan's Hotel Wednesday of next week. Don't have a time on that, but we'll, we'll possibly early next week do more on this particular story. But just to get the word out to people in the Clonakilty area, the Kent Street will be closing from the 29th of April, so in about a month's time, until the 31st of October. It's just the work has to get done. Well, that's the other side of it. This flood relief work has to get done. But it's just, I know people will say in the summer months with so many people coming to the town, it is going to be a bit of an inconvenience. I'm talking of inconvenience. A piece I came across in the paper today. I was thinking, mm, I think this might be a runner. Could this be a runner in other towns, particularly here in Cork? It's a, it's an it's an idea that's coming from Donegal County Council. They have just launched a rather unique scheme in the town of Bally Buffet in County Donegal. And what they're doing is they're paying businesses to allow members of the public to go in and use business premises toilets. I mean, how often have you been in a restaurant or in a bar or in a cafe and it will clearly say toilets are for customer use 
only. And that's all well and good if there are good, clean, public toilets in an area. And, you know, seeing as we were talking about Clonakilty, and Clonakilty is such a tourist town, tourist towns above any other town, I think need to have proper, adequate public toilets. And we know, we absolutely know that we don't have good quality public toilets uh, in this uh, country. So could this be a way around if you get short taken, you need to spend a penny? Could this be the way to go that the council get into a scheme with local businesses and say, okay, you can use the toilet there, some kind of signage I'm assume, assuming will go 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 up to let people know that yes, this premises, if you need to, there's a toilet here that you can uh, use. Now, as I say, they've they've launched the first of the scheme in Bally Buffet. They're calling it a community toilet scheme. From the council's point of view, it's going to save them on building expensive toilets and obviously the maintaining of the toilets. That's always the problem when it comes to public toilets. They get destroyed and trying to pay staff then to maintain them and and keep them clean has always been a problem. problem. So they have identified a couple of places in Bally Buffet and the council are hoping that the scheme can be extended to other towns. It's obviously been run as a pilot in Bally uh, Bally Buffet and they will pay a a fee. Donegal County Council will pay a fee to the particular business that says, yes, I'll get involved in this. I will allow members of the public to use my toilets. The council says the cash paid to businesses will allow them to use the toilets and it would vary because I was interested to see how much money is going to be paid. They say some premises who simply have a unisex toilet available will obviously be paid a lower amount. But then you've got other toilets who have a separate male and female toilets Also, you'll have some businesses that will have a separate disabled toilet. There will be some business premises that will have baby changing uh, facilities. All of them will be available to the general public. So the subsidies, because obviously there's more work involved in maintaining a business premises that would have a lot more toilets to keep it clean and, you know, to keep soap and the soap dispenser and towels and toilet rolls, etc. So the subsidies are going to vary pending on the level of service that the particular business is going to uh, operate. And one councillor in Donegal quoted in the papers today as saying people would no longer be cut short and he hoped businesses would sign up to the plan. He said the scheme is about looking at innovative ways of working with businesses to provide much needed toilet facilities for public use. I'm assuming a lot of people would think that that's a jolly good idea and well done to Donegal County Council if they don't have the funding or thinks it's or if they feel it's too expensive to invest in public toilets we know we had the super loos and there are still a few to know how many of those super loos are, are still left but we know we've looked into those in the past those super loos cost an absolute fortune and when you compare the money you've got to pay to use one of the super loos well when you compare the income that the council get versus how much they take they cost to maintain the super loos they cost a fortune so a lot of councils were just trying to move away and get rid of super loos once they got out of the contract that they were in with the owners of the super loos they literally got rid of them but then to actually go and physically build public toilets there's a cost involved in that but I think the bigger cost is the maintenance of the public toilet. So could this be a way around it? I would be interested to hear from businesses. Would you be in favour 
of having a sign in your window saying, yes, there are toilets here that can be used by members of the public and in return you would get some kind of a fee from the council. I mean, I'm assuming all of the businesses that will get involved pay rates, maybe it will be money off the rates because it, it's all going in, in and out of the one pot, maybe something like that uh, can, it can be done. And to members of the public, do you think it's a good idea? I mean, we've all been in situations where we've had to go in and, and use uh, a, a toilet. Now, generally speaking, I'll try and arrange, you know, you go in and you have a cup of coffee or you do something like that. But we've all at times ran into a premises, haven't, the sign has been there, but you managed to get in very quickly and get out very quickly. Not fair on the business. It certainly isn't fair. So is this a way around it? It'll solve the issue of not having enough public toilets. And at the same time, the businesses, they'll get a bit of money towards the cost of running their toilets, but the council certainly would be a big winner, I think, on this one. 1850 333 103 lines are open. We were discussing Brexit earlier on. Eamon in Mill Street said, not a big internet user, but he said he's heard lots of people talk about fake news. He has been following Brexit with great interest and he said it appears fake news sold Brexit to the good people of the United Kingdom. It's a pity, but listening to people in bars, etc. It seems people rather talk about fake news than the actual real news. I know rumours were always around, but now people believe the rumours even when they are told it is incorrect. It seems people these days refuse to believe what actually is the truth. And if you say to them, well, that is true, then you're part of a conspiracy theory against the country. So I feel sorry for the younger generation in the United Kingdom as fake news won out the day and won with Brexit. And yet, Yes, it is the young. This was a point that was made earlier by Michael, one of our listeners. And it is the young who will suffer when it comes to jobs. I also worry for the future when it comes to people believing to believing what they want just because they've read it on Facebook. And John in Cove says, will somebody please explain to me, how did the United Kingdom and Ireland fare out before we joined the EEC? As far as I remember, says John, it was the farmers that dragged us into this in the very beginning. Ireland was becoming a very rich country from an agricultural point of view. We had gas fields off Kinsale and Mayo, but what now, what is happening with them? The EU seems to be deciding everything now. Would we be better off staying? Would we have been better off staying out of it years ago in compared to what we have today? I think the answer to that is a big no. Ireland has gained a lot more financially. A lot more money comes into this country from the EU than what we actually give out. I mean, look at all the roads and everything that, that have been built and all of the other projects where money flowed in from, from the EU. So are we might you mightn't like the idea, John, of being part of a club where you're told what to do. From a financial point of view, Ireland certainly has been a big, big winner. And I think the United Kingdom, when they leave, are going to realise that they also were uh, very big winners uh, because of their membership of the EU. Jaron Bandon says, well done to one of our own, Conor Howrahan from Bandon. Oh, wasn't that a fabulous goal last night that he scored uh, for Ireland against uh, Georgia in the Euro 2020 qualifier? It was in- indeed. He certainly did call and West Cork and Bandon in particular proud. We're going to be talking about that match actually. Uh, Trevor Walsh 
from our sports department going to be joining us and in particular focusing on what happened with uh, John Delaney my God hero to zero away for John uh, Delaney there was a time when the fans absolutely loved him he seems to be absolutely now despised by the fans if you watched the match last night the throwing of the golf balls on to the pitch now it was about the 33rd minute I think before people started throwing the golf balls I don't know how that was decided by the people who went along to see the match I mean obviously people went not everybody went with golf golf balls but many hundreds seem to have bought golf balls with them it was being spoken about and speculated about for the last few days because I know Mick McCarthy was asking that the tennis balls wouldn't be thrown and you know don't be having you know if you have a beef with the FAI and if you are angry with John Delaney then take it out in the FAI and take it out in John Delaney but don't take it out on the players and they felt that the throwing of the tennis balls would be taking it out on the players so your views on how that went was it in some ways the right way to protest nobody got hurt uh, by it and the people who threw the golf the tennis balls keeps saying golf balls it would have been much more serious if it was golf balls but the people throwing the tennis balls got to make their point and the point got home to the powers that be at the FAI and certainly got home to the message got home to John Delaney there's photographs of him on all the papers today not looking like a very happy camper at that match last night so the, the message from the fans certainly was relayed to, to John Delaney was it the right thing to do if you had been there last night would you have been there with a tennis ball in your pocket or would you have thought no rather childish thing uh, to do and that it, we, sh- we should be there to support the players and not be worried about what's going on at management level 1850 John Paul taking your calls keep your gardening questions coming in please I can see some gardening questions already in for Peter Dowd I'll keep those coming uh, because uh, Peter will be joining us in this hour on the programme. Uh, Hi Patricia, I agree with Brian Hyde who joined you earlier. This was Brian who suggested that care to Limerick would be a much better route for the motorway rather than Cork to uh, Limerick. This is, this is John in Mallow. says, I agree with Brian. Mallow needs a bypass, not a motorway. At least someone looking at, at last. It sounds like somebody's looking after the taxpayers' money, says John in Mallow, because Brian Hyde and his group's suggestion would be you build the motorway from care to Limerick you don't forget about Mallow, Charleville and Butterfant. There will be money saved there that would you could put a ring road and a bypass into those three towns. There will be certainly a huge amount of money saved to the Exchequer by Brian's uh, suggestion and the 15 million that they're putting into the design of the motorway. Well, they could just, if you went with his idea, you could just transfer that money over and use it to design the motorway between Care and Limerick rather than between Cork and uh, Limerick. We mentioned the social welfare increases, the five euro extra that's going into people's bank accounts or if you could pay to the post office as and from this week. Patricia, yes, the five euro was applied to all social welfare or will be uh, to all social welfare welfare recipients this week but please don't forget the fuel allowance will be deducted shortly so they give with one hand but they seem to quickly take it away with the other hand how unfair is that 1850 John Paul taking your calls you can text or WhatsApp particularly your gardening question please to 0862 103 103 The C103 Cork Diary With Cork County Council 
supporting businesses, supporting communities, serving Cork. Visit CorkCoco.ie. And Cork County Council with Fall to Ireland are hosting a community workshop to discuss the proposed development of Dursey Cable Car and Visitor Centre. It's going to be held in the Eccles Hotel in Glengariff uh, this evening between 6pm and 8pm. The Patrician Academy in Mallow are playing in the All-Ireland Senior Football Final this Saturday. They're holding an up for the match night in, in up for the match night in the Hibernian Hotel and that's on tonight at half past seven. Sensational Kids Clonic Kilty they're hosting their final drop in clinic for speech and language therapy today while Donnerail Tidy Towns are meeting at eight o'clock this evening in the community hall. Tully Lee's Drama Group are presenting Pull the Other One in Tully Lee's Hall that's happening on Thursday eight o'clock tomorrow night in a hilarious play with good belly laughs guaranteed and a coffee morning will be held in the Allen Institute this Friday from 10am to 1pm cakes, crafts, raffle plus a lot more no charge, just donations accepted with proceeds going to the Hall Renovation Fund. Now in an interview following the European Championships in 2012, John Delaney of the FAI told the story of how fans carried him head high back to his hotel. Well certainly the mood at the Aviva last night was a far cry from those scenes seven years ago and fans threw tennis balls onto the pitch. It was a form of protest and dissatisfaction with with John Delaney and also with the entire board of the FAI. Uh, Trevor Welch of our sports department uh, joins me. Uh, good morning or good afternoon to you Trevor, it's gone past 12. Good afternoon Trevor. Afternoon, um, you're, you're, you're welcome. I suppose firstly the match itself and you know we've been talking and congratulating one of our own because it was banned in uh, Conor Horahan's great goal that secured the win for us last night. Yeah, fantastic strike. Uh, I've a lot of time from uh, Trish. He's a great left foot. As we know, he's having a great season uh, with his club. And, uh, you know, I, I thought he was outstanding on third as well in the in the Gibraltar game, even though that was, uh, that was not the right home about. But he was he was our standout player there. And I thought he was a standout player last night as well because his technical gifted. He put one pass astray all night in the 90-odd minutes. And uh, I thought he was outstanding. I know that uh, Dave McGoldrick got man of the match for his hard-working performance. But technically, I think Conor Horan is probably the best player in the Irish team at the moment, in my opinion. That's terrific. And uh, once again, congratulations to him. OK, tennis ball's been thrown onto the pitch. We knew it was going to happen. There'd been talk about it. Um, and I don't know, was there anything that the security going in could do about checking people and taking tennis balls away from people? But what was your view on what happened last night? Yeah, I mean, uh, it's, it's ridiculous, really. I, I know the tennis ball idea, which came from um, other footballing nations that when they were protesting down the years, so that's where the idea came from. And I think it's easier to get a tennis ball into the ground, obviously. And uh, they were going to make some visible protest uh, to the uh, outgoing CEO. And they, they gave him quite a hammering throughout the match, Trish. If you listen to some of the songs and stuff like that, it was 40,000 at it. Um, obviously, they feel it's, uh, there's a need for a radical overhaul in the FAI, you know, um, not with just John Delaney, but the, the whole thing needs to freshen up. And I think, you know, listen to some commentators um, who were saying that, you know, with John Delaney's position, that one man um, uh, shouldn't have so much power. He's been there 14 years and it can't be healthy for the organisation. Another thing has come out, obviously, with the salaries on, that how can the board stand over the salary he was getting, like we're a small footballing nation, compared to big nations like Brazil and Argentina and so on. They wouldn't be on that kind of salary. So there's a lot of 
questions now to be asked because of uh, that, that loan he, he lent uh, the FBI in, in April of 2017. He faced the Oireachtas and government, and they, they could make it difficult for him because of the new position that's been created, which was probably never, well, it wasn't advertised. So how is the position talked? There's a lot of questions to be answered, and you... You know, my relationship, I said to you before in the programme, Trish, my relationship with John Delaney is very good. Um, you know, I've always had a good working relationship. He's very, been very good to me. He's a, he's a really good football man. He's done a lot for grassroots football. Um, you know, you look to Euro 2020 and there'll be four matches in the championships. John Delaney's got great connections, you know. So, uh, obviously, he's he's a lot to offer. But um, I just feel that, um, you know, with the position he's had, he's just moved sideways and he still probably has a lot of power in the, in the FA. Was the... They, some of the fans obviously stayed away last night, did they? And was that because of John Delaney? Yeah, I think so. And then the certain section, obviously, with the tennis balls, really wanted to make their presence felt, saying that, you know, there's something's got to be done about it, you know, that it's, it's gone on too long, there's been too many mistakes. I mean, you look at the Aviva Stadium, it's supposed to be paid for by 2020. I mean, that's next year, you know. The, I think the stadium is nearly in 30 million euro debt. So that's a big concern as well, you know. Um, but, um, you know, I. I feel like that, you know, just like Martin O'Neill and Roy Keane fans felt that there needed to be a change there. It's gone stale and now they feel that the, the FAI board needs to be changed as well, you know. And there's an interim CEO coming in. Um, a lot of talk about who will be the next CEO, maybe Niall Quinn, um, who knows a lot about the game. He's been chairman at Sunderland Football Club. No, I think he's already publicly come out and said, no, he's not interested. Yeah, he said he's not interested with the current board, but, you know, ah. maybe a few of them step aside you might rethink that you know but it'd be interesting to see and how they go about it and you know what will the salary be on will it be the same as the previous one there's so, there's so much going on with the FAA at the moment so many questions to be answered you know Would you be with well I know there was the Fine Gael TD Noel Rock has called for John Delaney to completely leave the FAI along with the board do you think that's what we need do we need a complete um, sweep Well I think the, the FAI the board still feel that John Delaney has a lot to offer because of his UEFA connections, he's a good relationship with UEFA, he's on the UEFA U committee, uh, but he's been, you know, moving in that direction, Trish, for, for, for a long time, you know, towards uh, UEFA. And I think this executive vice chairman position that he holds at the moment, I could be wrong, obviously, it's just my gut feeling is that that won't last too long and that maybe he will move towards Switzerland and, and the UEFA and the whole board needs to be, to be freshened up, you know, new ideas, um, you know, they've got to look at our own domestic game here as well, which I think has been neglected. So, you know, I think, yeah, definitely a, a new, a new, fresh approach to the FAI for me. Okay, and the the actual for people who didn't see the actual throwing on of the tennis balls, did it affect the flow of the game in any way? Um, yeah, just for a few minutes. I mean, they added on three minutes of uh, extra time or injury time or stoppage time at the end of the first half, and uh, Georgia nearly scored. In that, in that time but I don't think it, it affected players too much um, I mean I think they knew it was coming as well the only thing is it could have been like uh, dangerous if, if one of the players maybe stood on the tennis ball you know went over Orkley or something like that now they did clear them but you know you saw one kind of how score the uh, the free kick that uh, you might have seen in the slow-mo the slow motion that there was a few tennis balls passing. there was yeah yeah so you know it could have been dangerous in that respect but you know I just think that the, the fans or a section of the fans at least want to make a visible kind of protest and you know make their point OK and generally speaking what's your view on the current team Trevor? Yeah I think um, there's plenty of encouragement um, Mick McCarthy you know I said it before as well that we played very good football on Mick McCarthy 
he's only been in the job as you know a short time he only had the players for a few days before the Gibraltar match he just said we'll cast that one aside and just get the three points um, and then last night I felt you know the performance was terrific from the start high tempo um, you know I'm sure McCarthy said to him get out there and make a presence felt we're playing a team we should be bossing even though they've done well against us in the past but Ireland's approach to the game was great midfield Conor Horan was superb as I said earlier uh, Glenn Whelan's 35 he came back into the team I thought he was terrific as a kind of a holding player breaking up the play our defence were, were, were fantastic we still have a problem with scoring goals I mean it took that fantastic uh, free kick from Conor uh, to win the match for us so I'd be concerned there that we don't have the forwards that we used to uh, Sean Maguire played and, the, and Gibraltar didn't get a game last night because he changed the kind of formation of the team but we still have very good players like Seamus Coleman Matt Doherty uh, came on as a sub last night playing great for Wolves so all in all I think we have a strong enough squad uh, bigger test to come obviously with Denmark and Switzerland but you know, we proved before that we can match them uh, even though you know one or two results went against us but that was in the O'Neill and uh, Roy Keane you know, era when things went flat in the end and I think Mick has given a new impetus to the team they seem to be happy around the squad I've seen them training and there's a uh, you know good buzz about the place and six points from the two matches that's good. You know, is what you want top of the yeah, top that's of the terrific group. yeah and let's focus on what's happening on the pitch rather than what's happening in a boardroom okay listen Trevor thank you for that and uh, thanks for joining us Good morning to you. That is uh, Trevor Welch joining us from our sports department. And by the way, just some comments in on the EU. When I was talking, when somebody was saying, should we should we never have joined the EU in the first place? And I was making the point that no, we have financially gained, whether you know there might be part of us don't like the idea of being told what to do, but we're part of this club and therefore we have to be told uh, when different directives come in and they can annoy people and decisions are made in Europe and you wonder, have they any clue of what's going on here in the country? And I also said that one of the advantages was roads and what I was talking about was the bigger motorways you know the ones that come with the EU funding and you'll see uh, the signs going on, going on I absolutely accept that we don't have good roads particularly in rural areas Tom in Bantry says they used to be catching hake, cod and much more off Widdy Island but now they have to go further out to sea so millions have been taken from the fishing industry since our EU membership and as regards roads people are still travelling over a bridge, a bridge in Adrigal that was built by the Quakers years ago so we got no big roads here in Bantry or in Beira absolutely Dan Don and Carrie Galine said I would love to see those roads that Patricia is mentioning this morning as I can't see any of them here in Cork the only good road we have is the South Ring and the motorway to Dublin the M8 every other road is a disgrace Look at the roads around Limerick, roads in Dublin, roads in Galway. But yet here we have nothing. And Joe in Bandon says, I travelled the N71 main road from Bandon to Clonakilty yesterday. It is a disgrace. Potholes, bad road surface. And this is the main tourist route and a main roadway. Compare this to other countries and it is an absolute disgrace. Absolutely. So I put my hand up. I should have explained that a little bit better when I was saying one of the benefits was motorways. And just on roads and on cycling, Colm in Ballyvalan says, I was driving on the Blackpool bypass yesterday and there was a cyclist on the bypass as you approach the traffic lights turning into the city or towards the North Ring. But cars were trying to pass the cyclists cyclist out meaning that they were going into the next lane it was really dangerous surely there should be some law that cyclists can't cycle on roads like this it can be narrow enough for cars not to mind cyclists I know there are no cyclists allowed on motorways but why bypass roads where three or four where you can have three or four lanes of traffic it is way too dangerous 
for everybody involved. 1850 Can I just give you an update on an interview we carried yesterday when Norma joined us? Norma joined me yesterday to Norma O'Brien. She runs a play school in Donegal and she joined us to talk about a young woman from the area, Helena, who has cancer, cancer diagnosis and she's been She's been battling cancer now for a few years, got the all clear and then it came back and she's battling on at the moment. So the people in Donegal and the surrounding areas decided to get together to help out this family because this family are living in a mobile home. There's Selena, her husband Declan and her two little children, Lainey who's four and John who's three. And they're trying to finish off the house that they have been building. But obviously you've got Helena battling cancer so she's now out of work. You have a John having to, or Declan having to take time out to look after the children and help out Helena as well. And they're just not in a position to get the money that they need to finish off the house. So fundraising has started in the area and people have been beyond generous. They really have. So from the Donnerell blog, which is a brilliant blog that you'll find on Facebook, there are terrific updates on how Helena and the family are doing and I just want to quickly run down through the very latest for those of you that are not on Facebook and are not seeing this blog. The updates on events happening in the community to help out Helena and her family. Londis Donnerell are hosting a coffee morning on Friday the 12th of April from 10am to 2pm. Running alongside this and leading up to this is an in-store raffle. So if you're in Londis and Donnerell you can buy a ticket. Donnerell Post Office is running a raffle from today for a 30 in LED TV. There's a bucket collection there also if you want to donate. The Riverside House Montessori School, which I'm assuming is enormous, who I spoke with yesterday. They have a pyjama day on Friday week, the 5th of uh, April. Countryside Montessori School are also having a dress-up day next Thursday and Friday. Mary St. Ledger is organising a 24-hour paint-a-thon from 4pm Friday the 5th of April to 4pm Saturday the 6th of April. That'll take place in Chokporek. On Wednesday the 27th, that's today, Nagel Rice Secondary School, they're having a no uniform day. Donnerell Pharmacy have got a monster raffle going on in store. Donnerell AC are holding a five kilometre run in the Donnerell Wildlife Park on Saturday the 6th of April at 11am. Centra Donnerell are sponsoring the water for the event. Well done. Donnerell Golf Club have a quiz night in the club on the 26th of April. Um, and believe to achieve in the industrial estate in Mallow. They're holding a 12-hour spinathon on the 20th of April from 6am to 6pm. Donation buckets will be in place. Eileen's Bar are hosting a wax and shave on April the 6th at 9pm. Anybody need a shave? Collect your sponsorship cards at the bar. There's an 80s fancy dress disco at the Hibernian Hotel. That's on Sunday, May the 5th. That's the bank holiday weekend, isn't it? And there has been a fantastic response from everyone. And yesterday when Norma joined us, she was explaining that local uh, tradespeople have got involved to say, look, get us the, get us what we need and we'll get this house together. And there's just, and I likened it to, you know, that wonderful t- TV programme, DIY SOS. There's a feeling like that about this particular project. And we put the call out yesterday with Norma. They were looking for various like plumbing things, electrical items, furniture, anything that 
could be needed to get a house, a new build house ready for this little family to move into. The very latest there. Chadwick's and Mallow are helping out with the plumbing supplies. Plumbers are on board already, raring to go. Crown Furniture have donated a bed and a mattress. Sugros and Mallow have donated another bed. There's painters on board. And according to the, the Dunnerail blog, since last Friday night, the story has gone viral. Remember, it's only about a week ago that the people of Donnerail decided to do something to help out this family and in that short period of time it's just been uh, amazing and I know Helena, Declan uh, and the kids Lanny and John are surrounded by great family and great friends and I know they are really, really touched by the support that they are getting and I know on their behalf a big thank you to everyone. The people have been absolutely amazing and Friends of Helena is the name of the GoFundMe page if you're outside the area and would like to help out what is a young family who just... You know, we talk about facing uh, facing nightmares and exactly what you wouldn't want. But to be facing that, to be battling cancer and to have the added problem that you're living in a mobile home, looking at your house that needs to be finished off and you can't get to finish it off. So well done, everyone who is getting involved. 1850 Our lines are open. Peter Dowdle. Our resident gardener will be joining us. If you've got a question for Peter, get it into us, please. Either into John Paul or you can text or WhatsApp 0862103103. Every morning on Cork's More Music Breakfast, I'm giving you the chance to win big on Celebrity Seas. Play at 20 past 7, 20 past 8 and 20 past 9. Guess the celebs win the cash. Congratulations, 2,020 euro is whisking its way to you, sir. Thanks, <laughs> You just won Celebrity Seas! So far, I've given away over four grand. Be my next big winner. Celebrity Seas with Simon Murdoch on C103. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. Peter Dowd on the IrishGardener.com joining us this on this lovely sunny afternoon. Good afternoon to you, Peter. On a glorious spring day. Isn't it fantastic? And I, I mentioned earlier when I said you were coming on the programme, uh, well, I actually spent most of the afternoon yesterday in the garden. It was just, it was fantastic. But the smell of cut grass around the place and you can see people out busying themselves in the garden. Isn't it, isn't it gorgeous? Yeah. And then we've got the clocks going forward, so we'll have the longer evenings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's just gorgeous to be out there. moment, I was talking to somebody yesterday and it, uh, it's, I, I said to her, I said, this is the weather when we picked the right career. Yeah, <laughs> good to be a gardener. Yeah, unfortunately, you get the wet days as well. Anyway, yeah. let's get straight in with uh, questions for people. Elizabeth, is it too late to trim a red robin? Uh, I would say no. I, I do it sooner rather than later to get the benefit of any new growth that does come. So, in, in other words, there's new growth coming already uh, because the temperatures never really got that cold. It nearly kept growing all winter, but there's certainly new growth coming already. Um, so by cutting it back now, you're going to sacrifice some of that. So you don't want to sacrifice any more. Cut it back now and let new growth come where you want it to push it out. Lister wants to know, is it safe to take the cover off her tree fern? So if you'd asked me this question last week, I would have said certainly yes. But then yesterday, both yesterday and today in the morning, uh, I saw a slight frost outside. So I, I would still say it, it really yes. But maybe just on saying that, I'll cover myself and leave it off till next week because I was watching the weather on the news last night and, and you probably have the same report that they're saying it is going to get a bit colder at the weekend. Yeah, so, and there has uh, there certainly has been frosty mornings, all right. Yeah. yeah. So I, but even though really the frosts aren't that severe, are they? Yeah. No, 
it's not that severe, no, definitely not. And I think if you did take it off now, it probably wouldn't do it, uh, any damage. But you may as well, you've left it on this long. You may as yeah, well leave it on, you leave it on and yeah. then take it off next week. Margaret has a, a camellia, lots of flowers on it. Well done. It's getting quite big. When the flowers are gone off it, is it then it can be trimmed back? Correct. Absolutely correct. You have very specific windows with, with cutting back uh, camellias. Um, they put their flower buds on kind of July, August, September of this year for flowering next spring. So the flower buds that are on it now were on it since autumn 2018. Uh, so you, can, you well, you could move it or you can't cut it back during that time of the year because you'll lose the flower buds. So you want to cut it back now, as she says, just after it flowers, but before it puts on next year's flower buds. So between the end of flowering and let's say July, you need to cut it back. And actually Bridget has a question with a camellia as well by text. When is the best time to take slips from a camellia to root when flowering or after flowering? And how do you pot them? Thanking you. Okay, they're a difficult one. I think this question came up last week or the week before. A similar type of, oh, was about, about, somebody had a damaged camellia and she was wondering what... what that was what, a damaged one, yeah, take. yeah. You know, so the exact, pretty much the same question. When is the right time to take the, the cuttings? Now, it's later in the year. It's July, August, so it's well after flowering. Um, but they're not the easiest to take from cuttings. A lot of shrubs will, will root very easy. They root in front of your eyes from cuttings. Camellias, they will root, but they are more difficult Um you'd have less of a success rate. So so for 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 the likes of ourselves doing it where we might take a, a slip off it and put it into a, a pot full of compost for every 10 or 20 you take, you might root one or two. It, it's quite a low percentage. They need underground heating. They need under... So, so when they're grown commercially, they have uh, soil, cables in the soil to heat the soil, so there's under soil heating for them. Um, <clears throat> so the right time to do it anyway, just accepting all that, is July, August would be the time to do it and you would get a, what's called a, a nodal cutting so the base of the cutting would be on a node which is quite simply where a leaf meets the stem. You remove all but let's say one to two leaves at the top. You remove the, the terminal bud which is the growing tip. So you're left with a cutting that's about let's say four to six inches in length. Uh, the base of it is a node and the top of it has one or two leaves uh, into a bit of rooting powder into compost uh, and hope for the best. Keep your fingers crossed. Nora in Bwing is trying to grow potatoes. She wants to know, could could Peter give me the name of a blight-free potato? I was I thought I was hearing the start of that question. I said, oh no, oh no, I hope he's not going to ask me, would Peter give me the name of a good potato to grow? Because <laughs> everybody has different tastes yeah. in Ireland when it comes to potatoes. But blight-free is okay, and there are several blight-free ones. There's one called Sarpo Myra, and there's one called Sarpo Axona, A-X-O-N-A. There, and I've grown the two of them before with great success. And I mean great success. One of them, the Axona, I had growing next to Golden Wonders uh, several years ago. And the Golden Wonders all got blight. And now I harvested them and they were fine. But right next to them was a, a drill of Sarfo Axona. And they were fine. Absolutely Isn't that fantastic? Yeah. I saw so. a project uh, where schools, actually I have it here, um, schools across Ireland are being encouraged to sow what's called lumper potatoes oh uh, yeah. is to commemorate the famine yes, and they were okay, they're asking yeah. people there was a website people could, schools were encouraged to go on to and they will be sending them out free packs of this lumper is it lumper seed potatoes lumpers yeah it is yeah. Uh, the ones that we would have used during the famine I did grow some lumpers before it was actually part of a, a, a television programme I, I I have to say I don't know what they taste like because I never we no. did cook them but I don't think I taste them but they look did fine they look like they? a fine yeah. we grew them from seed potato we grew them in, in bags you know potato bags uh, and they cropped well and we thankfully didn't get blight. Uh, they, I didn't taste them, I didn't eat them. Um, I can't remember now why, but they, they looked lovely though. 
but a lovely project for kids to get involved with and, oh, and, a, and a living project for them to, you know, to be talking about this is what people were trying to grow. Exactly. Yeah. And they'll see the problem. Some school kids will have, they will get light. So they'll see, wow, imagine if this was the only food we could rely on. It yeah. really does bring history, make bring it to life. That's, oh, that's fabulous project. That's terrific. Project. Ask yeah. Peter, where can I put rose food to my carpet rose trees? Where can I put rose food to my carpet rose trees? When? I'm presuming when. when. It must be when, when yes, are you? Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, uh, first of all, when you're feeding roses, give me, sorry, where I'm going is that the roses are a hungry feeder. So the better, the more you feed them, the better quality the feed, the better they're going to do for you. So I would use a liquid rose feed and I'd use the Goulding's liquid rose feed, which is good because it's an Irish product and it's probably the best one out there. Uh, I would say from now on, where are we? End of March, yeah, certainly from now on, you'd repeat it a few times during the year, but the roses will thank you and you'll thank yourself because you'll get much, much better flowers. As you say, the more you give, the more you'll get back from, from yes, roses. Yeah. Uh, a question for Peter, please. Um, I like Peter's opinion on a product called Zero Liquid Dawn for killing moss on lawns. Has he come across it? If so, where is it available? A listener in Bantier. Zero Liquid Dawn? I have heard of Zero and I think it's uh, pro- I think I'm right in saying it's a product that is specific to um, a garden centre, Horkins Garden Centre up in the west of Ireland, I think. So I could stand corrected on that. Okay. Um, I I haven't used it. Uh, I know some people who have used it and they've also used the, the Lawn Gold one and Instant Green. And uh, no, I don't want to start, you know, when brands are when getting into which brand is better than which. Um I think it's only specific to those shops, but the people who use the other ones prefer, seem to prefer the other ones. Okay. So, um, I, but I don't want to get into a... I know, I know. ...better than the other. Yeah. You know what I mean? Okay. Oh, uh, Helen says, Hi, gardening question. Got a heather in a pot for Christmas. Can I put it into the ground now and does it need to be in a sunny spot? Absolutely put it into the ground. You can plant it any 12 months of the year, really, a heather that's growing in a pot. Uh, yes, it would need to be. It wouldn't need full, full sun, but it wouldn't. It certainly wouldn't tolerate full shade. So give it a give it a kind of semi shade, semi sun, or full sun. Uh, plant it in the ground now. Keep it very well watered over this summer because the, the roots are still in the root ball and they're not going to permeate the soil and get its own water too quickly. So you will have to be watering it, not forever and ever, but just for this first summer until it gets established in its new home. This may be a question that Annalise Dressel, maybe um, from a health point of view. Mary in Mallow would love to visit a garden centre, but she suffers really badly from allergies to pollen. Has Peter ever come across? How does somebody who suffers from a pollen allergy go to a garden centre with great difficulty? Yeah, with great difficulty would be the answer. I've certainly come across people with with pollen allergies, and obviously by the sound of it, this is a a serious one that... if you need to think about it to that level, then it's a serious allergy. So um, I suppose the short answer is, I don't know, as you say, it's more medical advice. I know there are plenty of plants, and I remember designing a garden as part of a team for the Chelsea Flower Show several years ago, which was a, a pollen-free garden. Wow. Um, yeah, aimed at asthmatics and things like this. So it was a pollen-free garden, and it looked gorgeous. So, I mean, there are, you can have a pollen-free garden, and you have pollen-free plants. Obviously not great for the pollinating insects, which we're trying to promote, but from yeah. this point of view, you can get pollen-free plants. Um, that doesn't really answer her question, how she'd visit the garden. I do think it's, it's probably more a question for, for a medic. Yeah, and then there's I the top. I wouldn't want to give yeah, yeah, we, yeah. If, you, if, you, if you get back on to us when Annalise is on, she might have products that she can advise. And then I suppose it's the time of the year as well, try and go when, when the pollen is, is lower. 
Yes, and I you would know. think at this time of the year on a day like today, again, not really knowing, but I would think on a day like today at this time of the year when there's lots of flowers out, the, I would imagine the pollen count is very high. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay, um, mine of information as always. What are you up to this week? The, but not this week, but I think it's Sunday Sunday week. Okay. I am on the 7th of April, I am in for, for anybody, we probably don't have too many listening up in Sligo, but for anybody who knows people in Sligo or anybody who's travelling up the west of Ireland, on the 7th of April, I'll be at the Homeland Garden event in Sligo, so look forward to meeting anybody. And then on this Saturday fortnight, which is the 13th of April, that's the important one, it's the Flowers of Hope campaign for the Cope ah, Foundation, fabulous. and I'll be giving a demo in the Beach Hill Garden Centre in Montanotti. And uh, looking at my diary, I think it's one of the very few, if not the only talk that I'm doing in Cork, I well, to say, um, certainly for the next few months. So anybody who's around or anybody who wants advice, I'd be more than happy to see them and give them advice. And it is for a great and it's cause. it's in a great cause. There is a charge for that one, obviously, but it's for Cope Foundation. It's for the Flowers of Hope. Uh, I'm giving my time for free for it, and I'm sure many others well are. Done. So it's, um, it'll be well worth supporting. That's the 13th of April. Well done. Listen, we leave it there. Thank you for that. Thanks for joining Thanks us. And we'll talk Bye. again uh, next week. That's uh, Peter Dowdle, theirishgardener.com. That's where I leave you for today. Thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing. Talk to you tomorrow at 10. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details.